The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Make the most of your life. When you remove the blocks that are holding you back, you can bring inspiration, passion, and purpose to yourself and those around you. This is the Hoffman Connection with your hosts, Raz Ingrassi and Ed McClune. Our hosts and their guests will give you the tools that you need to improve yourself by bringing you closer to what really matters. Now, here's your host. Welcome to the Hoffman Connection, broadcasting live from beautiful Northern California and uh, another wonderful opportunity on Voice of America. I am Razin Grassi. I'm a Hoffman teacher and uh, have been an executive of the Hoffman Institute for a long time. And if you've never heard of the Hoffman Institute, we're celebrating 45 years as the leading personal development uh, company, helping people who are serious about change. That's our byline. When you're serious about change, we have 16 centers across 11 countries Almost everywhere in the world you'd want to you'd want to go, and we've helped about over eighty five thousand people worldwide. The Hoffman Process, our signature program, is an amazing eight day uh, retreat, residential retreat of personal development and discovery. My co-host today is Hoffman teacher and therapist Ed McLoon. Over to you, hey. Ed. Hey, Raz. Nice to be here with you this afternoon. And our purpose with the Hoffman Connection is to bring inspiration, some education, and hopefully tools to help you connect to a life you love by connecting you with our guests who have created lives they love and support others doing the same. Um, we offer the Hoffman process about 30 times a year, twice a month in our center in the Napa Valley, and then about six times a year on the East Coast as well. And if you'd like to learn more about the Hoffman process, the teachers, or anything else, our other offerings, you can go to our website, hoffmaninstitute.org, and find out more. And every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock Pacific time, um, you can f- uh, find out more about the process by going on a free and also confidential introductory call. And there's information on the website on our homepage regarding that call, which takes place again every Tuesday afternoon at 5 o'clock. Well, to, to bring our, ghost, our guest onto the show <laughs> out in the She's not a world. ghost yet. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> Halloween. Happy Halloween. Always go Halloween, bef- right? Go, Raz, before we get any more relaxed here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're joined today by Carista Luminaire. Carista is a, well, she's actually Dr. Carista Luminaire. She's a Ph.D. and a co-founder of Luminary Leadership Institute. She's the author of a really amazing and groundbreaking book, book called Parenting Begins Before Conception. And she counsels individuals and couples who want to be better parents, but also who want to explore how their early childhood bonding with their own parents uh, profoundly impact their adult intimacy, their adult uh, relationship dynamics, and also 
how to heal that past and how to co-create secure and passionate love that we all want more today. Uh, Carista, yes. welcome to the show. I'm very happy to be here now, as a Hoffman sh- graduate. Oh, good. The title of this show, the theme of this show is Confused About Love, or actually mm-hmm. Confused About Love. Confused and, About Love? Uh, can you tell us what uh, what you mean by uh, when, you, when, when you say that uh, our childhood attachment styles affect our adult intimacy dynamic? Can you tell us a little bit about what those uh, childhood attachment styles are? And, uh, yes, I would love I would love to share that with you and give you just a, a backdrop of the inspiration behind me focusing on understanding how the neuroscience of attachment affects our adult dynamics. Do you mind if I do that just to give a a foundation? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was a young psych major just out of Harvard many decades ago, I began my practice and realized very early on that adults were spending their adult years healing themselves from childhood trauma and abuse and neglect. And I thought, this is such an inefficient use of spending your adult years, time, energy, money, to heal your childhood. And there began several decades of traveling the globe, north, south, east, west, studying psychology, spirituality, to understand what the variables would be to be able to inspire parents who are preparing for parenthood, how they could really optimize the child being able to connect to its true nature from the beginning of life. And that actually led to this book, Parenting Begins Before Conception, and how to really support the prenatal life and the early infancy of the child. And um, as a wounded healer myself, I began to, of course, explore my own process, having lived the lightest and darkest sides of love and relationships and counseling for over 30 years as a couples counselor. It was really the discovery of the latest synthesis of the 20 years of neuroscience that showed this correlation between early childhood attachment styles, the first two years of life, and its impact on adult dynamics. That was the missing piece for me. And the whole theme of confusion... Excuse me, I just want to ask you a question. So you're telling us that neuroscience is actually... that these different uh, childhood attachment styles actually affect the brain. Yeah. Yes, okay. and we'll talk about how that happens specifically. There's really a science to love and an art to love, which is how to really learn how to express love. But the science is actually happening in the brain, why we react, why we get into these vicious cycles. And it was in the Hoffman experience that I went to in a crisis in a relationship in my life. I thought I'd done everything, been there, done that. And something took me to my knees, and I went to the Hoffman experience and um, after eight days of looking at the wonderful 300 negative love distinctions I had this epiphany and I thought there's one common pattern that everyone shares in this confusion it's everyone's confused about love and that's how the branding of my work really was born out of the Hoffman experience because that's what all the negative love patterns really share is a confusion what love is and what love isn't what healthy love is and what it isn't so so you tell us that there are four attachment styles based mm-hmm. on the neuroscience of, of attachment. Yeah. What are those? So there are four styles. Um, most of the work that's out there talks about three, and I've included the fourth one. I even have developed a fifth one. The, the first one is called secure attachment. So, so babies are either securely or insecurely attached to their primary love 
sources, their mother and if they're lucky, father, if they have both. And when you have secure attachment between a mother and child optimally and between a mother and father ideally as well, we're talking about 80% of the time or better is what the neuroscience shows. The child can depend on the parent that you will be there through thick or thin, that it feels like I feel safe and secure with you. And both parents are committed to make me the highest priority, especially when I'm under stress and anxiety or duress. And I matter to you. Your needs matter to me. Even if I can't meet them is what the parent will feel, mm-hmm. that, that the child knows it can depend on the parents and count on them for safety and security no matter what, emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Then the insecure attachment styles are usually classically divided into two distinctions. There's what's called anxious attachment. Some call it preoccupied attachment, where the child puts out their need to the parent, and the parent will be there sometimes and not other times. The child never knows when the parent will be there. An example would be the child cries out in the middle of the night in the crib. The parents wake up. Sometimes they go and soothe the child. Sometimes they let the child cry it out and leave them alone. So the love is unpredictable. That's the anxious attachment, insecure style. The avoidant, the second one, the child puts out a cry, the crib, and the parents hear it. They know the child's safe. It's got diapers on and it's in a safe room, and they decide to go back to sleep. They don't respond to the child's cry. And most of the time, not to say they never do, but most of the time they choose to leave the child to self-regulate itself rather than what we call co-regulation when the child can depend on on another. And all of these styles are healable. You can rewire yourself from what happened. And the fourth style, traumatic attachment, which is not covered in many works but I feel is really important, is when you have a scary parent. It's this traumatic attachment is usually neurologically an additional kind of disordered impact on the nervous system. It's usually on top of avoidant or anxious attachment experience where the parent is abusive or they have addictions where the primary bond person causes constant fear or terror and the child never feels safe. So neurologically there's a kind of creates a constant sense that the person who's supposed to love me and make me feel safe threatens me when they're with me and even when they're not. It's called scary parent. And most people, I'm discovering in my private practice and in my own self-reflection of this, are hybrids. Well, there's been, as you mentioned, a lot of research. I know the um, so-called ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences study of some 12,000 people, definitely shows that uh, traumatic attachment uh, to parents just produces, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a wealth, but a certainly an avalanche of uh, adult diseases. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, in this, I see so many sad, but parents, uh, young mothers, if you will, uh, whose child is, they're at a table with a child in a restaurant or they're walking mm-hmm. down the street and they're texting or they're on the telephone and, that moment, that time when they're supposed to be bonding with the child, or they could be bonding with the child, they're actually ignoring them. So it looks like they're with their child, but they're not. Yes. What, this how would you, a, what would you call that? Well, that's called, um, that usually will create an anxious child if there's a dominant tendency for the mother or father figure to be disinterested in terms of really 
interacting with the child so the child feels secure. So if the child needs attention and the parent chooses the cell phone most of the time, then the child will definitely get the experience that, you know, I'm not the priority. And what happens is that the child learns to self-regulate. So we see this example, as you cited more specifically in the, in the labs, that where a lot of this neuroscience study came out of, where the, the child who has a mother who does what you just described or is more preoccupied with her life than the child, especially when the child puts out a need for connection, when, when the mother drops that child off in, a, in one of these labs that really explores the attachment, with a secure ch- mother, the, the mother will drop the child off, the child will go play toys, the mother will say, I'm leaving, the child comes over, hugs the mother, is happy the mother goes, because as soon as the mother comes back, the child knows the mother's going to be there. But those who had the, the parents who were insecure attachment, when the parents leave the child in the lab playing with the toys, the parents come back, and the child doesn't look to the mother or the primary love source to regulate them. They're just assuming they're not going to be there. And so we have this value in our society. Oh, that child's so independent at nine months. They don't even need their mother. But actually, the child has learned to soothe itself off of inanimate objects, what we call self-regulation, which is actually generating a lot of great um, self-sufficiency. But those children are going to be more wired not to depend on anyone. And here's the real gem that woke me up to the power of the neuroscience. What the neuroscience says is that we never outgrow the need for secure attachment. We always do best when we're in a relationship where we can trust we have another person to go back to. When we're out in the desert of life, we can go back to this oasis and know that that person will hold us like our mother. We need it from our mother. That need never changes. I'd like to feed this back to you to see if I'm hearing you correctly. And so basically what you have is mothers, I'm just going to say parents, but we'll say mothers, who are either secure or insecure, and then they bond with their child mm-hmm. in a way that is secure, that produces security or insecurity in the child. Yep. Correct so far? Correct. Okay. And that a mother who is there for her child doesn't produce a, a child who is um, uh, anxiously, uh, you know, a, a mama's boy or someone who's uh, crying and attached to the parent. Instead, they produce someone who is self-sufficient, self-secure, and, uh, and, and the self that they're bond, bonding to is not their mother, but to, them, to their deeper self, to their spiritual self, as we might say in Hoffman, so that you actually produce um, a secure attachment will produce a self-confident, um, stable yeah. human being. Is that... Well, well yes. With the, yes, and <laughs> just some yeah. clarifications. Um, so what the science shows is that those who had secure attachment are more self-confident by nature and actually are more independent because they are also interdependent. So it's an and both, as they say in Zen Buddhism, where the healthy human being needs to depend on someone throughout its life that it can trust and feel secure and safe with, particularly when it's under duress or stress, and that person makes them a top priority. Those are all you know, markers of secure attachment as a child, as an adult, those adults as well are more successful, more confident, and more independent. Now, what it also offers is that that adult and child actually has the ability, age-appropriate, to self-regulate with ease, to self-soothe itself when someone else can't be there 
much better than those who don't have someone to depend on because they know they have someone to depend on when they really need it. And so their ability to feel positive about themselves is stronger and their ability to self-regulate is actually born out of their experience of trusting they have someone to co-regulate with. Right. Got it. So now, that's we're going to be going to a break. Is that right, Ed? That is right. And we'll when we come back... <laughs> so much to say. Ed? We we'll go to a Ed? break. Oh, yeah. We'll go to a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about how this attachment theory moves into us and our adult relationships. Okay. If you'd like to give us a call, you can do that here at the Hoffman Connection. Our toll-free number is going to be listed to you right now as we go to break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes here on the Hoffman Connection. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. Again, that's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And with Raz and Grossi, I'm Ed McClune. And Carissa, you know, we, we just talked about the different attachment styles. So let's talk about how those styles might show up in, in someone's intimate relationship. So let's go, you know, what would, what would somebody who's in relationship, you know, their partner's there who has, let's say, an, an avoidant, insecure attachment, what, what does that look like? Who's that person? Behaviors of an avoidant is they withdraw, they move away, they shut down, they stay in their head, they usually push away their feelings, and they have a need to feel accepted and valued but they don't know it. They both styles of insecure attachment need to feel connected. And their primary stories, so to speak, are 
I never get it right. I feel like a failure. I, um, I'm just not so needy. I need to keep things calm and it's okay to, to really shut down and go in my shell because I'm avoiding feeling like a failure. I feel really at the deepest level depressed and shame and empty and numb because I need connection, but I, I don't even know it. I feel like I'm never enough. I can't get so, it right. So that would be somebody who appears maybe not to be so affectionate or warm. They're self-contained, self-reliant. Is that exactly? What? Okay. And then what about um, the anxious attachment? Okay, the anxious is actually the opposite. That's why it's often called anxious preoccupied. They really need connection and to feel they matter. And their tendency, their behaviors are more in the complaining, criticizing through attack spectrum. So they pursue and they blow up, they complain, they yell, they provoke. And their basic stories are, I feel alone, and that person doesn't seem to care, my feelings don't matter, we're not close anymore, it's like you don't see me. It's this deep feeling of I don't matter, I'm alone. And their feelings are usually the more aggressive feelings, whereas the avoidance is passive, the aggressive feelings of anger, impatience, resentment, nervousness. They're highly anxious in general. And so... The, the, the anxious is more, you know, the one that has the sword attacking, and the avoidant is more the one that has the shield avoiding the connection. And then how does that show up in terms of, or does it, in terms of attraction? Do the, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, we know as couples get, counselors, yes. yeah, as couples counselors, usually what brings those who are in high drama are usually not the secure attachment ones, they're the ones that are in the vicious cycles, as they call it in Hoffman, where the pattern complexes are colluding. And so usually we find the most common dynamic is avoidant anxious, which is um, the, the, the anxious is usually the one that's pursuing connection in, in despair, in escalation a lot, and the avoidant is the one that's usually avoiding it. Sometimes you'll have two avoidants, that's like two ships in the night, or you'll have right. two anxiouses that will be, you know, a high drama. They're, con- they're both at each other, desperate and critical and aggressive. Or you'll get a secure attachment who's completely confused because they're not used to insecurity and they've bonded with someone who's got trauma attachment or high levels of insecurity and they have no idea how to connect with them because it's foreign language to them to feel insecure. How many of us are, 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 had a childhood which produced secure attachment? You know, I have to say, I was surprised. I mean, I've read different studies and different distillations of the neuroscience, and um, they say, <laughs> and I've seen anywhere from 20 to 50%. In all honesty, how many people do you know that had secure attachment in your conscious community out here in Northern California? Yeah, that many, about zero, you know, coming. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so, you know, that the approach avoider in a relationship seems pretty universal. You know, it's the, very, the, very common, yeah. It's really the ones, well, this, this is the other interesting vignette about secure attachment couples. They discovered that those couples who have enduring lasting love, it's not so much they know all the tricks of the nonviolent communication and the wonderful Harville Hendricks type of work, the, all the, methodologies for communication it's that they make each other a priority through thick or thin that there's a your well-being and peace matters my well-being and peace matters and there's a we our relationship is the most important thing to be at peace for us to be in harmony and that's the defining factor of long-term healthy relationships in many of these studies so with with somebody let's say who's an, an anxious attached person then is is 
is that level from a partner, that level of consistency and love, no matter what, I've got your back. Mm-hmm. Is it ever enough? I mean, is where yes. where the anxious person doesn't isn't still almost trained out of pattern to try to establish connection through neediness or clinging or um, you know approach. Um, it's like, can I ever trust my mother? I can't. I couldn't trust my parent to be there when I needed. How could I trust another human being? I mean, the healing has to take place somewhere. Is it? Sure. Here's the catch: being a recovering anxious type, I can talk directly from experience as well as helping others who have rewired. And my sweetheart is a recovering avoidant, so we're in this, and we have, you know, reaped the the gems of of this work and really applied it to what is now a very secure relationship. In a pretty short period of time, we had a lot of you know, healing beforehand, but we have discovered that you can rewire yourself, even the traumatic attachments can, if you find a partner or a good healer, takes longer with a healer or a dear friend, to actually commit to rewire you so that you can report when you're feeling insecure and that becomes a priority to learn how to create a direct experience of feeling trust and security. And that's where one of these segments, we hopefully will get over what we call, my partner and myself call, the three love languages to rewire. It's so simple because one has to interrupt the pattern of the escalation, which is happening in the brain. Right, and that brain sometimes creates what we hear, think, see, expect from our partner. So it sounds like the process you're talking about has to be not just my presence, but also a kind of... In- intentional um, structure. There's intentional structures and a a commitment to practice together every time one feels insecurity. That actually becomes the opportunity to create security. It actually is the substance to create intimacy. And when insecurity is transformed into security between a man and a woman, that's when the passion flows. Because a woman won't open up, I know this, I've studied women for 35 years, unless she feels safe. So unless her insecurities and anxieties are being cared for, it's very hard for her heart to be open, and therefore her body usually doesn't open. But if she feels she's found someone that really cares for her concerns, and it's vice versa as well, then the passion will be born out of a sense of established security. And it really is a direct experience of what's happening in the brain. Do we have three minutes or so for me to explain that? Exactly three minutes. Exactly. Okay. Okay, I'm going to make this very simple. So um, it's important to know how the brain's response affects your relationship on a day-to-day basis. There's what's called the triune brain, three major anatomical areas, the brain stem, the reptilian brain, and it's involuntary. It's where when there's traumatic events, the human being goes into a freeze-and-fold pattern like an antelope that's attacked by a lion. There's the midbrain or limbic center, which is the most important part in relationship is the midbrain limbic system where the amygdala works as a danger sniffer. It's the emotional brain. It's where bonding happens. It's where fight or flight happens. And so when we're in danger, the amygdala will go off like a fire alarm, and it has to be turned off in order for any processing in the left brain to make sense to the emotional body. So the third section, the neocortex, the frontal lobes, is when we feel safe and we can think and plan and consider and rationalize. But when the midbrain, the limbic center, is feeling insecure, in danger, disconnected, the, all the processing we do as couples does not stabilize. We first have to get the, the, the fire alarm turned off, and that's where the commitment is with a couple who wants to rewire themselves 
because that's the first practice is we have to get our limbic centers feeling safe together. And that's where the three nonverbal love languages we'll talk about really help do that in a very succinct, simple way. That's beautiful, Chris. I, you know, I think that's, it's getting exciting now. You know, when we get to the part of, well, how do we intentionally heal this stuff so that mm-hmm. a more honest, supportive, clean, loving attachment can be between two loving people who want to be close. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break, um, but we mm-hmm. want to let everybody know that Krista, along with her partner, or her partner, Lion Goodman, um, have a course called Confused About Love, the Art and Science of Creating a Secure and Passionate Relationship. And that's a t- a seminar, mm-hmm. so it's easy to attend, and you can find out more at her website, confusedaboutlove.com. Not a hard uh, your, uh, URL address to remember, confusedaboutlove.com. And we'll be right back with Raz and Crystal Luminaire and myself, just a minute or two here on the Hoffman Connection. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. And we're back. Today we're talking with Carista Luminaire. Carista is a Ph.D. and co-founder of Luminary Leadership Institute and author of the groundbreaking book, Parenting Begins Before Conception, and she is an expert on how early childhood bonding styles profoundly impact adult intimacy dynamics. And so, Carista, we were just about at that place before the break where I think we were going to ask you to talk about the three Love languages or nonverbal love languages? What is it? Three yep. love languages? I call them the three nonverbal love languages. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, which is basically 
as Ed was suggesting, we want to get into the practices. So we have the theory that's just been described, and we can diagnose ourselves which of the attachment styles we are in. And then how do we rewire? How do we comfort this limbic system? The first thing is you need to find someone who wants to do it with you because it's in relationship. Love is in relationship with other. And mm-hmm. so the the reason why we call it the nonverbal love languages is because all of the bonding at the deepest level neurologically that was to happen between ourselves and optimally our mother and ideally our mother and father was before we talked. All that wiring for security happened within the first two years, which is based on the neuroscience of brain development. So what were the primary languages of love that we did get or we didn't get come through three behaviors? How we were touched and how we experienced love through touch, the tone of voice in which our primary love sources talked to us, if it reflected love or it didn't, and the eye gazing is very, very important for a child. So let's say a child is crawling, it sees something on the rug, it goes, it, it goes, its limbic center fires off because it thinks it's a snake, something dangerous. It looks to the, it cries out, a secure attachment mother would come to the child, the child would look to the mother, am I in danger? And the child would not know if it was a snake or a rope. And the mother would pick the child up, whether it was safe or not, and regulate the child by looking in its eyes and giving a loving gaze that you're safe. You can depend on me. This is how trust is born. I can depend on another when I'm in distress. This is bonding. This is love. This is what love does. And the mother would make sure her touch and her body language neurologically was giving the child a sense of safety and security. And her tone of voice would be very soothing. I'm here. It's okay, sweetie. You're safe. You're safe. And the parent wouldn't let the child down unless the child were safe. But if the child were safe, the parent would let the child down and trust it could go out out into the world and be self-regulating. And this ability to be able to do this, again, is a way we rewire ourselves as adults. That this, that when we're upset, when we get into these vicious cycles, and what we're really wanting is just to be held and loved. If someone says to us something but their eyes look scary, like our scary parent, or their body language is rigid, or their tone of voice is angry but they're telling us that they understand us, and they get what we're feeling, but they're agitated. The limbic center never goes off. We don't trust them, and we can't get off our preoccupation with the negative love pattern. But if that partner in a vicious cycle, which I is something I do with my partner before we even get there, if we start getting defensive and just in our heads and estranged, the first thing we decide to do is to just lie down together. Let's just lie down together and hold each other and, and just feel like, hey, we're allies here. And if we're so triggered that we can't do that for some reason, then the one who can do it the most, (laughs) who chooses to be the adult faster and help the other get out of a trance, will use their eyes to talk to the person and let them know, I'm your ally, we're safe here, I'm choosing love, I'm choosing to really create security for us. And one might say, but the tone of voice, it's just getting me so agitated, I can't hear what you're saying. Insecure attachment, it's not that we're triggering each other, it's that we get to report it and the other cares. And so the other will then lower their voice. Mm-hmm. So as we are interacting with each other, we are really accounting for what's going on with the other person. And we are, we are making an adjustment appropriate to their needs. Yes, because, again, back to the confused about love theme that I feel captures it, 
most of us, as we learned in Hoffman, we don't really know what love is and what love does. We just know what happened to us is not love. But what then, does love do? Uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. I never yeah. heard any say, we don't know what love does. What does love do? Yeah, Lai and I recently just wrote that's a great. document. We just wrote a document about what love does from the masculine and feminine perspective. We just fresh off the off the, uh, the airwaves. Um, so love, just in general, of course, there's many nuances. Well, specifically, each person needs to define what love does for them. But what's universal is that love gives the person a feeling a feeling safe, secure, empowered to be their true self. That love wants to draw the the best that love wants to draw out the loving nature, the wise nature, the right use of power in the other, in relationship to themselves, in relationship to the, to the partner, in, in relationship to the world. So it's an empowerment to really be the best you can be. And so why would I want to keep you in a distress cycle, judging you with admonitions and negative love attacks, if that's not what love does and I want to be in a loving experience with you? So love Krista- nurtures. The the idea here, though, you know, we we love to steer the conversation beyond just technique. You know, if it, yeah. if a child had a a parent who could talk soothing talks, but the child doesn't know language yet, you know, pre yeah. pre verbal child, but feels authentic connection or not, mm-hmm. then the the healing in your work doesn't doesn't come from somebody or you are quoting different you know communication mm-hmm. techniques, you know, and all the rest of it doesn't the healing doesn't come necessarily from saying the right thing, but yeah. actually backing it up. Well, yes, and if I could embellish what you're saying in my words. I would say that the content of what's being said is secondary. It's actually the embodying love itself, which is having conscious, intentional control, how we use our eyes, our voice, our body language, our touch, to actually give the person the experience that we're really bonded and connected with them in a way they can trust so they can rest in our presence and reveal themselves, whether it's insecurity or the best of them. So it's a living presence love. That was a great embellishment on what I said. I even found myself calming down a little bit as you were talking. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But Lo- love is so- not a concept. It's a direct experience of feeling safe and secure with someone. And I think, of- you know, yep. the, the, just, just, to, just to complete that, the reward is then on the love giver. It's, it's essentially, wow, I am embodying what I want to be for this person so whether you respond or not is secondary to me because i get to have the affirming experience of being in my best intention for you sort of i don't know that's a little yeah yeah verbal but uh, yeah again embellishing what you're saying in an example my daughter who i adore who i've really done my best to give her secure attachment we got in a we were in a really great groove the other day in a car and something happened and i got triggered Unusually so, really unusually so. Net of the whole experience was, you know, I'd say from my point of view, my, my, my value system, I got out of control. And she was upset. And what I realized using secure attachment was, you know, I'm human. I tried to help her realize, you know, I still have stuff and I, my unconscious got triggered, was that I committed to repair and rewire myself and her by taking ownership that I had created insecurity in her by her reaction, I could tell. And I used my nonverbal languages as w- to match my words mm. that I really cared that I put her in the state and that 
I really wanted her to feel she could share whatever she needed to to feel she could let it go and feel safe. That's what it is. It's a moment-to-moment practice. It's not about having it down every moment. It's realizing when we, when our behavior triggers the other, we make it a priority to do something about it and bring them back into harmony. So it's not just I got to experience love, but I got to feel the joy of putting her mm-hmm. into a state of harmony herself rather than leaving her distressed, crying in a room all alone. Right. And that creates a momentum in and of itself. Yeah, it creates harmony and peace. Yeah. Which think builds how, upon think, itself. Well, think of how much time we all spend involuted in pain, estranged from our partners, our colleagues, our children, because we can't get the connection going. We can't get the bonding of the feeling of love moving. And we sit there and we fixate, you know, and it drains us and exhausts us and certainly dries up passion, I can tell you that, and trust. So why would one want to rewire themselves with anyone even if the other person doesn't want to do these practices, you can practice reconnecting with them by working with the three primary love languages, whether you're in an intimate relationship or not. Right. It's like the, the Gottman's preach, you know, that it's not so much about resolving the con- conflict or resolving the disagreement, but actually being present to one another in the lack of agreement. Yeah. Yeah. Let me be here with you. Yes. And because this show did feature this notion of security and passion being connected, you know, the science of passion, in a sense, is very much connected to this, that um, I know some of my deepest moments of opening to my partner has been born out of him holding me in my deepest, most vulnerable insecurities and caring and helping me reveal them, and then him helping me, you know, really lovingly care that either his behavior has, you know, triggered an old wound and he wants to show up differently out of, you know, and says basically, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want you to have to experience this again. I will be more aware of not doing this because this hurts you and this causes you distress. That is the greatest elixir of passion for a woman a man could know. Care that you've hurt her and want to repair it. That's a great um, little carrot for those of us who need that kind of motivation. But um, does it, does it, how does it uh, relate opposite in, in terms of gender? So what does, it, what does this bring the male partner in a heterosexual relationship? Yeah, well, there are male anxious and uh, female avoidance. So, I, you know, the classic yep. is the female usually the anxious, but not always. Um, and so ask me a specific question as a male. What would you like to know? Okay, so you're saying that, you know, for a woman in general, having some, having a man who will hold a place and, and truly desire to repair um, some break that he's participating in creating, that in holding that, taking responsibility for it, it, it creates a sense of safety in a woman, which mm-hmm. can open her up, make, oh, yeah. her, make her available to yep. her man. Yep. Uh, it's, it's safe to let you in. Yep. So um, what... What's what's the um, guy getting from his partner in that setting? Well, he's getting an open woman. I mean, this is where having Lion, we do these a lot of these talks together to have the male perspective. What right. I've heard him say is that what happens is that he gets the, the joy of a woman who's open, not just sexually, heart, you know, kind of filled with love. He feels that his caring for her actually gives him more passion, more connection, more feeling empowered to be a loving man. And, um, you know, it's important that the woman realizes that men need 
to be valued as well and need to be they they as Lion has taught me men really need to be appreciated and valued for their feelings particularly avoidant men what's missing is that their feelings and needs were not valued so if a woman wants to draw out a man who goes into avoidance so that he connects with her and they have greater intimacy the first thing she wants to do is value his feelings and make it safe for him to share his feelings without feeling like a criticism or some castrating comment or admonition is going to come right behind it if he didn't say it perfectly, love her perfectly, and to empower him to be vulnerable. And then his passion will also be much richer. But most avoidant types or anxious types don't feel safe to be vulnerable. So the, the game, so to speak, the theme of rewiring is we need to make it safe to be vulnerable and so we need to report when we don't feel safe to be vulnerable. And that becomes, as I said, the elixir of the intimacy. Mm. So I will say to Lion, I will say, right now I'm getting triggered. Right now I'm feeling insecure. And he'll say, oh, really? Tell me about it. And then I'll feel he won't have any resistance. Or he'll say to me, I'll, I'll value his feelings. And then the person feels cared for and the heart just, all the defensiveness just softens. And then you want to move towards each other because it's just, you know, you, you, why wouldn't you? You're being embraced. Exactly. Given what we've been longing for. Yeah. We're going to take a, a, a one quick break, Krista, and come right back. and want to learn more about your work and how people can find out about it. And mm -hmm. um, this will be our final uh, chapter in the show this afternoon. So we'll be right back in just a couple minutes. I'm Ed McClune with Raz and Grassi here on The Hoffman Connection. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are your unconscious patterns holding you back from a life you truly love? For 45 years, the Hoffman Process has helped people reclaim their ability to find love, forgiveness, and their true purpose in life. According to a University of California Davis study, Hoffman Process participants significantly increased their joy, satisfaction, and emotional intelligence on a sustained and lasting basis. For more information, visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Are you looking for more joy, satisfaction, and love in your life? The Hoffman Process can give you the foundation and tools you need to create your ideal future. Celebrating 45 years as the premier personal growth program, the Hoffman Process has helped over 80,000 people worldwide discover answers and guidance to help them find their best life ever. Visit us at hoffmaninstitute.org for more information. The Hoffman Process, when you're serious about change. Again, visit hoffmaninstitute.org. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Hoffman Connection. To reach Raz and Grossi, Ed McClune, or this week's guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to radio at hoffmaninstitute.org. Now, back to our program. 
Hello, this is Razak Rossi. We're talking today with Dr. Carista Luminar. And Carista has illuminated so much about how our early childhood bonding with our parents has profoundly impacted our adult intimacy dynamics, our relationship dynamics, and also how to be in a healing relationship because we're all carrying this material, how to heal it, how to be in a relationship that's actually becoming more whole rather than more fragmented Mm -hmm. uh, to to co-create secure and passionate love. So, Carista, just before we went off the air, and by the way, I just want to tell anybody who might be listening that you can call us with your questions and talk to Carista at one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. But uh, just before we went to break, you were talking. You said, um, you know, it has to become safe to be vulnerable, and that sounds like a contradiction in terms. <clears throat> if I'm vulnerable, I'm not safe. So, could you tell us what that feels like, so that it can become safe for me to do it? <laughs> yeah. I hear you. It does sound like a paradox. Um, being vulnerable is very simple when you're experiencing it. It's a sense that you other are giving me verbally and non-verbally the sense that I can reveal my deepest needs and feelings, and you'll care about them. You'll be open to receive them, and if you can't help me meet them, you'll inspire me how I can get them met myself. Hopefully, if you're my primary partner, you'll want to help do thing, you know, fulfill some of those needs that involve you. That's what it is. And and, the, and for the other person, it's the feeling that if I let my guard down, I'm not going to be hurt. Yes, that's more the avoidant, and so that becomes very important for those who have that wiring to make sure they find someone who has the capacity, the interest and capacity, to want to give them space and help learn what they need to feel they can take some risks to be heard and have their feelings valued. Mm. So we really want to find out what, you tell me what the conditions are that would help you be open to share what you need for me to now, care for you. Now, I've heard one definition of emotional intelligence. I want to check it out with you. Mm-hmm. And simply stated it is that it's the capacity to, or the ability to know what I'm feeling and and to also sense and know intuitively what you're feeling uh, and to behave in a way that's appropriate to your, to you and me. Yep. And so I bring that up because although we use a lot of words to describe these different mm-hmm. attachment styles, insecure, secure, avoidant, anxious, traumatic, um, in fact, it's the, the emotional experience of it is spontaneous it flows right when you feel secure and open it'll flow if you feel insecure you'll pull back withdraw or react and not create the conducive environment for the other person to want to keep their heart open to you so when you're in secure attachment it flows that's more of an inspiration to learn what you need to do to rewire that way okay so we're when it's flowing we're feeling free open loving Mm -hmm. spontaneous and then when there's a stop um that's a signal to sort of get curious and say, what's going on here? Exactly. Exactly. When we're what flowing, we're in security. When we're flowing, we're either feeling self-secure to be loving, to be the source, the generative source of love, independent from the other. That's the best of adult you know, love. 
we can hold the other even when, you know, in love, even when they can't hold us in love. And yes, the way you described what love does, emotional intelligence, that is secure attachment at its best. It's, it's a I, you, we are all equally as important. And tell us then a little bit about the difference between codependent love mm, and, it's, yeah. and interdependent love. I'm so glad you put that up. Um, <laughs> so that's a very important distinction. Independent, interdependent, healthy love, aka secure attachment, is when there's there's mutuality when both partners or parent and child child's not well. I'm gonna let that be when both partners or colleagues or friends make it an equal priority to care for the other as well as self-regulate themselves. So there's an equality, a mutuality. It's not like I'm always there for you and you're not there for me. Whereas codependency is where there's a partnership where one is always there regulating the other, but they don't feel they can get their need for regulation met, either because the other doesn't have the capacity or doesn't have the desire or they're so self-absorbed that they, they just don't even know it's what they're supposed to be needing. Mm-hmm. But is there a is there a state where where two people have unhealthy so that would be two unhealthy love styles mm-hmm. coping with one another? Yeah, yeah. Most of the vicious cycles and the pain painful relationships are two insecure styles that don't know how to create connection, don't know how to create security, and that's it's usually very painful. And many of us are hybrids. We can be a mixture depending on our parents. One could be secure attachment. We could have internalized that. One could be trauma attachment. We could have two poles going. We could have later life experiences that created new, you know, experiences of either insecure or insecure love. We could have primary caregivers, step-parents, adoptive parents, grandparents, siblings that, you know, support us in wiring predominantly one way or the other. But we usually dominate in one of the styles and have a secondary or third and, and it's kind of funny, too, how we don't realize what the other person is experiencing. So if you yeah. have, for example, a relationship in which one person has um, more desire for sex than the other, mm-hmm. um, the one who has a greater desire will see the other one as being cold, yep. uh, asexual. But the one who... Would, might be defined as having lesser desire, sees the other one as needy and dependent. And um, it's hard to get in to see ourselves from the other person's point of view, isn't it? Right. So that's part of, as we make the distinction in the wonderful Hoffman work, which I feel saved my life, that um, the, the whole notion of we have to get out of our childhood reactions of what love is and what it isn't and, and all of our bonding dynamics and want to rewire ourselves to create healthy connection where both of our needs are equally as important and we want to learn the other's love language and we want to care about their insecurities. We actually want to pay attention because if we do, the other will open to us. And sometimes, you know, we need to um, adjust what we want and need to care for the other. But the more one really cares for the other's needs, the less drama there is, the more connection there is, and the more the desire to be connected, be it sexually or emotionally, just it organically occurs because you're my ally. You're my and when I friend. and when I open to myself, I can open to my other. Also, yes. I mean, it, yes. it goes. It's not. Very it's important. like just trying to take care of another person isn't going to help me necessarily. But if I really can open to myself authentically, I will spontaneously reach yes. out to you. Yeah. 
Yes, and you know, just knowing we're ending here soon, it is important. We've put a lot of attention to the co-regulation and me saying that people thrive when they have someone they can depend on. There's plenty of people that don't. It doesn't mean you can't be a healthy individual. It's just that don't be afraid to realize that if you're a good self-regulator, self-independent, connected to your spiritual self, that some of the best of life is being in relationship, sharing and embodying that loving nature with someone else. So choose people that you can have that mutuality where they're caring for you and you're caring for them. And that the insecurities and the anxiety and the negative love patterns are the portal for intimacy if you can share them in what I call vulnerable and have the other help you rewire to love yourself and love the other. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an and both, self and other. Carissa, thank you so much for being with us with the, at the end of our time. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a teleseminar that you're jumping onto. I am. And I hope that people will go onto your website and find you. And that is, say it yes. again. Confused, confusedaboutlove.com. Confusedaboutlove.com. There you go. Next let week. Just, I, yeah, <laughs> let me just say that we have a teleseminar, and it's perennial. So even though we're into the third week, you can join at any time with MP3s. Yes. And you can contact me at Carista at luminaryleadership.net. C-A-R-I-S-T-A at luminary, L-U-M-I-N-A-R-Y, leadership.net. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Carissa. Thank you, Carissa. Uh, next week, we're going to be welcoming Jason Eric Hernicke. And Jason Eric is a brilliant naturopathic healer. He has a lot to tell us about how our bodies are really working and how to heal, and how to heal our emotions as well as our physical bodies. So welcome. Join us next week and help us welcome Jason Eric Hernicke. And we'll see you next week on the Hoffman Connection. Thanks, Ed. Good night. Thanks, Raz. Thank you. Thanks, Krista. Thank you again for being a part of the Hoffman Connection. Please join your hosts, Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon, again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, make it an outstanding week.